From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Owen Wolf is my technical producer, Ryan White, my YouTube channel editor and producer. And we are live streaming tonight, audio only. Uh, go to YouTube and search Strange Planet. That's my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And hit that red sub button while you're there. We are approaching 17,000 subs. The great-great-grandson of the outlaw, Jesse James, is standing by. And he'll tell us about his infamous train-robbing ancestor in just moments, how he faked his death, went on to live to a very ripe old age in the state of Texas, and how he left encrypted maps and clues leading to buried treasure, Templar treasure, perhaps. Daniel J. Duke will stay with us for the full two hours. So sit back, listen for the first hour, and then we'll make the phone lines available to you in the second hour for questions and comments. Just a few programming notes. Next week on The Conspiracy Show, psychic medium Allison Boswell will be here. And this is a conspiracy show first. She'll be conducting a seance live on the air. And I've asked Allison if she can reach out to the spirit of my late radio partner, rock historian, R. Gary Patterson. So make sure you're listening next week. I also want to tell you about a little conference that's coming up. I'll be appearing at Occulticon 2019 up in beautiful Holstein, Ontario. That's Gray County. And it's held at the Mythwood Events Campground, which is about 61 acres. Uh, and it is, by the way, the highest campground in Ontario. It takes place Friday, September the 13th to Sunday, September 15th, September 13th to the 15th, and you can camp out for the full three days. They have wonderful camping facilities, or you can just come for the day. And let me just give you a, the lineup here. This, this is just a smattering of some of the people. I'll be there on the, uh, the, the well, I'll be there for a couple of days, but I'm going to be presenting on Saturday the 14th. But Victor Vigiani, our good friend from Zealand News Network, one of Canada's top ufologists, will be presenting, as well as Scott McClelland of Carnival Diablo, the oldest traveling circus sideshow in North America. And he'll be performing the Paranormal Show, which is absolutely stunning. Uh, and uh, Alison Boswell, I mentioned, she'll be here next week. She'll be there as well. Christian Dicadieu of Paranormal Contractors will be there with, I'm guessing, some of his uh, ghost-busting equipment. This guy has all the gadgets and gizmos. It's remarkable. Uh, I mean, he really elevates uh, the investigation and uh, remediation of paranormal activity in homes and businesses to a new level. He's got all of the latest gadgets. Steve Santini will be there with his artifacts from the Titanic and other famous shipwrecks, some of which are reportedly haunted. Anyway, uh, you can go to strangeplanet.ca and the events and live appearances page for more information. You'll see a Culticon there. Occulticon 2019, or just go to occulticon.com, and I hope to see you there. Now, for my Patreon supporters, at patreon.com slash strangeplanet. 
Special thanks go out to my Star Chamber tier members, Denny Bladell. Denny Bladell, <clears throat> excuse me. I just get choked up talking about my wonderful Patreon supporters, Denny Bladell and Kirk Shamel. Thank you so much for your continued support. Go to patreon.com slash strangeplanet. Patreon.com slash strangeplanet and consider becoming a monthly donor. All right. Are you ready to meet Jesse James' great-grandson? Daniel J. Duke grew up surrounded by stories of lost outlaw treasure, and for more than two decades he's researched the mysteries involving his family, Freemasonry, and the Knights Templar, and he lives in Texas. Daniel J. Duke, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, and thanks for having me. My pleasure. First question, how do you know... You are the great-great-grandson of the Jesse James. That's a good question. Throughout the generations in my family, we everyone has heard, you know, grown up hearing the stories that we had, you know, the family legend that Jesse faked his death and lived to be an old age here in Texas under the name James L. Courtney. Well, you know, we grew up thinking that. Why would the family lie? But then you, you know, when you're in school or if you see, you know, watch movies or even television, you know, everybody says Jesse James was killed, shot in the back of the head by Bob Ford in 1882. So you grow up wondering, you know, which story's true. And my mother, she wanted to find out once and for all which story was true. She gathered a lot of the evidence. My sister and I helped her throughout the years and over 20 years and my mother wrote three books. Uh, I, my sister and I recently wrote another book. We've got enough evidence to show that, yes, our family legend is true. He faked his death in 1882 and lived to the age of 97 here in Texas. I don't know how old your mother is, Daniel, but she would have been his great-granddaughter. That's right. When did James L. Courtney, a.k.a. Jesse James, die? In the late 40s? He died in 1943. 1943. Now, is your mother old enough to maybe have had memories of him? Yeah, she passed away in 2015 at the age of 68. Ah. She was born a few year, four years after Jesse had passed away. Her only brother, his name was Jesse Wayne Dorset. When he was an infant, Jesse held Wayne on his lap. And, you know, Wayne didn't remember it because he was an infant at the time, but it was just, you know, something we always thought, you know, wow, how lucky is Wayne? (laughs) Right. And do you remember your grandmother? Yes. And they had all been out there. I have photos with my great aunt and my grandfather and some of my great uncles with, you know, out at Jesse's farm with Jesse. There's one photo, one of my favorites, uh, my aunt Judy, my great grandmother Ida, who was one of Jesse's daughters, and uh, Jesse and his wife. His wife was much younger than he was, his third wife was much younger than he was. Real good lady. Jesse's sitting in a wheelchair. This was the year he died, 1943. He's sitting in a wheelchair with a rifle in one hand, and it looks like a beer in the other hand. <laughs> you know, an old beer bottle. That's one of my favorite photos of him. Now, when you say photos of him, you mean James L. Courtney, who allegedly is Jesse James. So then the question is, how do we know... That James L. Courtney, who lived to a ripe old age up until 1943, was the same Jesse James who died in, was it 1882? How do we know? First of all, all the family photos that had been passed down, 
and other other items like his diary from 1871 to 1876. We've had a lot of family heirlooms that passed down directly from him and photos that were taken of him. So my mother in the 90s, first we wanted to check the photos. If this legend was true, then his photo should match known historically accepted photos, not only of Jesse, but also we had photos of his mother and of Frank and his stepfather. So we thought they all looked alike. We were ecstatic about that. Sorry, when you said Frank, you mean Jesse's brother. They were Jesse and Frank were part of the James. Was it the James Younger? A lot of people call it the James Younger gang. Right. So we took the photos to the Texas Department of Public Safety, which is our version of the state police, and we took it to their supervisor in the headquarters in Austin of the forensic lab. And they verified that yes, our photos match the historically accepted photos of Jesse and his, you know, and his family members. So then we went on to、uh, the Austin Police Department Forensic Photographic Lab. They verified the same thing. Our photos match the historically accepted ones. And from there, we went to a third one, Visionics. I believe they were in New Jersey, but they were world leaders of facial recognition technology. And they had contracts with international airports and others. Highly qualified, they verified the same thing. All three groups agreed that our family photos matched the historically accepted photos of Jesse and his family members. Even like a, our photo of Jesse's mother, she was standing in a yard with a dress on, and that photo matched a known historically accepted photo of Zerelda, who was Jesse's mother, down to the same pattern on the dress. I mean, their faces matched. They were missing the same arm, and they had the exact same dress on. That was a huge break and a, a big break. So we had three highly qualified experts who weren't just experts, and these were some of the top people in their fields, and they verified it. So we went from there to other sources, you know, trying to get as much proof as we could. We went through his diary, for example. His diary had a lot of code written in it, but it also had names of known gang members like Bill Wilkerson. And Bud Singleton and people like that, and it,、uh, some of the dates in his diary matched. On well, like when in his diary when he mentioned that he went to Louisiana, some of the dates that same time he was there, a steamship had been robbed and also a stage had been robbed. So you know there were robberies that coincided with the same time he was in the same area. That could be coincidental, but the names of the known gang members in his diary add a lot to that. And the big one in his diary. Other than the codes and all that, you know, the encrypted messages he had, was he signed it J James in his diary. Right. Who possesses the diary? Do you、We、have do. it? Does your family have it? We have it, and it's in a very safe place. I'm sure. Now, is the handwriting has that been analyzed? Are there、yeah. other documents in the handwriting of the Jesse James to compare with James L. Courtney? Yes, we had a one handwriting expert. She compared. A letter that had passed down through the family, also a di- the diary, and she compared those to an historically accepted sample of handwriting from Jesse, and she said they matched.、Hmm. So that was just you know one more piece of evidence leaning our way. What about other artifacts? I don't know whether Jesse James used a Colt forty-five or a Smith and Wesson or a Remington. What kind of a sidearm did he have? Do we know? Different weapons. He went through a lot of guns in his career. When he was a guerrilla. For example, they you know they were known to carry some of them carried six revolvers on them. That way, they didn't have to stop and reload. They would just and you know they had them tied to a leather lanyard 
that was attached to them so they could empty one pistol, just drop it and grab another and just keep firing. They had a lot more uh, firepower that way. Mm. But he had gone through a lot of pistols. There's um, Smith & Wesson that was said to have belonged to him. We have a photo of it, but we don't own that. Another man has it who lived in the same area that Jesse lived in here in Texas. He passed away. His family has it. And right now, I don't have enough to purchase it. So right. So uh, hopefully one day I can purchase it because I would love to put it in a museum. Now, growing up, how did your family talk about Jesse James? Because let's face it, he was an outlaw. He probably killed people. He probably murdered people, I'm guessing. Yeah. Is the family proud of him? Are they embarrassed by them? How do they view your great-great-grandfather? It's divided. The whole family knew the legend. Some didn't want to admit it. They didn't want to talk about it. One of the elderly relatives who passed away about 10 years ago, she burned over 200 of his letters. Oh, uh, you no. Know, that, to me, that was almost criminal. Yes. Because just thinking if the letters had content that were so juicy, it made her burn them. You know, I just really would love to know what, what those letters contained. But, uh, so she burned some of those. She kept, thank, thankfully, she kept a lot of the other um, items that had passed down. But um, most of us were proud of it. Well, you know, not, it, it was, it, it, when you're a kid, it's really something. You know, you think, wow, Jesse James. Yeah, but uh, as you grow older and you start reading more about history, you, you, you calm down. <laughs> I calmed down about it and just, you know, it, it's now I just, yeah, he was Jesse James. Um, he, he was in the war. They, he wasn't an angel by any means, but at the same time, he was also viewed as America, and he's been labeled in the past by different people as America's Robin Hood. Um, you know, he was fighting during, during, after the Civil War, there were, the, the, the economy was bad, especially in the South. And he was, you know, a lot of people in the South viewed him as Robin Hood because he was robbing the, the banks and trains that were controlled by northern interests. Right. This and, is during the Reconstruction, and there yeah. were northern troops still in the South. Exactly. Obviously a lot of bad blood. Um, and, you know, there were obviously there were abuses on both sides, but there were, you know, the South still remembers General Sherman coming down and, and burning crops and starving people. And, and so there were, uh, uh, you know... The slavery obviously was is uh, you know uh, was an abhorrent practice, but there were you know only one percent of the, so- the southerners owned slaves. There were abuses by the north. So, so since you brought that up, let's mention let's talk a little bit about that. We have about three minutes here before the break. Okay. What what propelled your great great grandfather Jesse James into a life of crime? Okay, during the Civil War, he he was too young to fight with the with the uh, regular army the confederate army so and and before the civil war had started the fighting in missouri and kansas had been going on for 10 years before the the civil war started right it happened so, the civil war know, started before of, fort sumter it, yeah, it, yeah and it was it was terrible it got more and more brutal with each year and then once it it it, it all came to a peak when jesse was too young to fight so he was plowing in his field in his family's farm and some Union-backed guerrillas rode onto his farm, brutally beat him, and tied him to the plow and just beat him. And then uh, they rode onto the house, pushed his pregnant mother around. Some accounts say he, she was whipped. And then they hung his stepfather until he, he didn't die, but he had permanent brain damage. 
so he wanted revenge. He went and fought with, he found a group that would take him at that young age, and that was Quantrill's guerrillas. Well, at the end of the war, the regular Confederacy was granted amnesty, but Quantrill's guerrillas were denied amnesty. So he tried to turn himself in and got shot through the lung for, for it. Um, he somehow survived. He escaped. And after he healed up, you know, they, they all knew then if you're caught or turn yourself in, you're going to be executed. So they had a choice, either leave the country or live up to your outlaw name. And that's basically, you know, he, he chose to live up to his outlaw brand, I guess. Um, that he, he, along with the Youngers and several other of the guerrillas, including Frank. And then they began robbing trains. Why trains? Why not banks? Well, a lot of the, a lot of, they, they seemed to have a lot of intel. When they, when they had a target, there was a, they knew it was what it was carrying, or they seemed to. Um, I believe, you know, the trains could carry more wealth, and I think that's why they attacked them. And they, it seems like it was less risk. Everybody on the train was concentrated in an area, so it was easier to control them, and it was quicker to get away. And, you know, they could stop the train in a remote area and not be surrounded by a town, a town full of people. So it, in a way, it seemed a lot safer. Did they, did they pick trains that were carrying gold specifically? Sometimes they hit trains with gold. Um, they, they robbed some, sometimes they would rob the passengers, but they would only rob passengers. They would check the men's hands. And if the man looked like he had worked for a living, you know, with calloused hands, they wouldn't take his money. Uh, they were only taking money from businessmen and people with desk jobs, which would probably include me right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but at the same time, he, uh, you know, they the, at at some some point, some of the rob the trains they robbed, women would ask for their signatures or their autographs. Ah, so it was almost like, in a way, there was kind of a rock star. Oh, you know, air about them. Well, America loves an outlaw. It, it's reminiscent of the Bonnie and Clyde story. I mean, they that, were they true. had their groupies, but they were absolutely. I mean, Bonnie and Clyde were brutal. Uh, that's true. They they were just indiscriminate in their killing. However, uh, listen, we'll take a time out, Daniel. We'll come back and continue to talk about your great great grandpappy Jesse right. James and the Lost Templar Treasure, secret diaries, coded maps, and the Knights of the Golden Circle, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Welcome back. Daniel J. Duke is here, the great-great-grandson of the outlaw train robber Jesse James. And the book is... Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure. Secret Diaries, Coded Maps, and the Knights of the Golden Circle. Uh, do we know, is there a, a body count for the the James Younger Gang? I mean, how many, how many people do they kill? Do we know? I don't know. Um, there, I'm sure, it, that's one thing, I, and that's a very good question. I never have gone through all the records counting up how many people he killed. Uh, or, or is claimed to have killed. There's, there's. A, I know he, he is said to have been one of the more deadly guerrillas during. All the guerrillas were extremely deadly during the. You know, they, they were known to have. It's, it's kind of strange. It was almost like they had manners, especially when it came towards women. 
they you know they didn't they didn't bother women. Uh, there's some people who have claimed they had, but there's no proof on that. Um, I know a lot of the uh, Jayhawkers. They didn't seem to care when they rode into a town. Everybody got wiped out. But I have I have heard of other accounts which I can't prove or disprove. But they they seem to have manners in in some of their raids. In in that's a strange way to put it. But at the same time, any man that was of fighting age, they they had no problem killing them. Right, right. Well, there were rules to, yeah. to war. There there yeah. were rules. It used to be anyway. Yeah. Uh, now your your great great grandfather and his brother Frank and the younger gang they were so proficient at robbing trains, particularly in their home state of Missouri, that they they started to divert train traffic through that state. Right. That's true. It got so bad that uh, trains were rerouting and going around Missouri rather than go through it. That must have been costing the state dearly. It, it, yeah, it hurt their economy. And so, how did the governor respond? Apparent. Well, he had under you know the, he was under a lot of pressure, especially from the railroads. They wanted an end to this. Uh, the Pinkertons were involved. They couldn't catch him. The Pinkertons even went so far as to throw a bomb into his mother's house, claiming they thought that Jesse and Frank were there, but I don't know what they really thought, but they threw a bomb in, it blew up his nine-year-old brother, uh, maimed his stepdad's hand, who had already been hung and had brain damage, uh, you know, tore his hand, one of his hands up and blew his mother's arm off it from the elbow. She had to have it amputated. Um, so... They were they were really you know they they wanted them dead or stopped they didn't care how they did it and they probably just actually wanted them dead so uh, the governor was said the way the story goes is that you know he he um, Bob and Charlie Ford had were working for the governor to infiltrate basically infiltrate the gang find Jesse track his movements so that they could put a stop to Jesse and. Before that, um, well, before before the the day he was supposed to have died, he um, um, his cousin Wood Height, who looked they they say bore a very strong resemblance to Jesse. He was his first cousin. Uh, Wood Height was also an outlaw, and he had rode with them throughout the years. He was in a fight at the Ford brothers' sister's house. Their sister's name was Martha. Uh, he got in a fight with Dick Liddell and a farmhand. It was some kind of, it seemed like it all spurred, started from jealousy. The farmhand liked, liked, uh, or had a crush on the Ford boy's sister. And Dick uh, Wood Height was known as a ladies' man. So I'm sure when he came in, he probably swept her off her feet from, from the way it all sounds. And there was a fight, there was jealousy. Dick Liddell ended up shooting Wood Height. And the farmhand had died also, or disappeared. There's no proof, but he just disappeared. So, uh, you know, the farmhand. So, um, this was shortly before April, you know, the first, the first week of April when Jesse was supposed to have been assassinated. And, you know, it was very, it was, it was during the winter. It's a cold winter up there. The ground freezes. Perfect way to preserve a body. And I think that's where that, the, the fake death comes in with, in 1882, they had a body, he bore a strong resemblance to Jesse, and they passed that off as Jesse. But the Ford brothers, Robert Ford, who supposedly 
shot your great-great-grandfather in the, I guess, the back of the head as he was up on a chair dusting a picture that was hanging in his house. That's right. Jesse apparently was quite domesticated. He was doing a little house cleaning. Yeah. And uh, so Robert Ford, who had infiltrated, he sounds they sound almost like the Texas Rangers. Uh, I mentioned Bonnie and Clyde earlier, that, you know, because the governor of Texas at the time, uh, a woman, uh, imagine, you know, back in the uh, the 1930s, uh, a woman a governor of Texas mm-hmm. begrudgingly hired the Texas Rangers. They kind of dragged them out of retirement because, you know, they had a bad reputation. Uh, you know, to go after Bonnie and Clyde and, and just and get them at any cost, really. So, was that the situation that the that the governor of Missouri? Uh, it was kind of on a wink and a nod. You know, do what you have to do, uh, infiltrate the the James Younger gang, and just get it done. Was that the idea? That's the way the story goes. Right, and that that seems like that's what they did. Um, I don't know if Bob and Charlie knew that Wood Height was actually just, I mean, that, uh, that Wood Height, I didn't, I don't know if they were involved with the, the, you know, faking of the death or if they were scared to death if they thought Wood Height was Jesse because there were a lot of robberies where Wood Height would claim to be Jesse or is, or is said to have claimed this. So there's a lot of questions in that that, you know, people say one thing. A lot of historians, when it comes to that point, take a lot of liberties. Uh, and there's really not much proof other than hearsay, because uh, nobody really knew what Jesse looked like. So I wonder, off, I often wonder how much the Ford boys knew. I think they were involved with Jesse. They also knew that was a good chance to get the reward for killing Jesse, and I believe they thought they would look like heroes. And it actually turned against them. I mean, Charlie committed suicide, and Bob was killed years later by a guy who was mad at him, a, a drunken man who was mad about him killing Jesse. Uh-huh. So uh, it didn't end well for them. I think it. They thought they would look like heroes, and they were actually, you know, just they they did they were known as being the cowards who shot him in the back. So they could have been double agents. In other words, they were hired by the governor of Missouri to kill Jesse James. They fell in with a gang. Who knows? Maybe they became ingratiated with Jesse. Maybe they liked him. Maybe he paid them off. So all of a sudden now, because of some other situation, there's a body. Jesse's first cousin, Wood Height, gets killed in an altercation. And they say, okay, now we have a body that looks like Jesse. So let's just pass it off. We'll, we'll say that we shot him. And no one will be the wiser. We'll collect our reward, and Jesse, you can walk off into the sunset. Exactly. And that's what he did, right? That's true. And also, uh, well, there's a lot of other strange things around that. Some of the uh, police commissioner, Craig, H.H. Craig, short, you know, he was a police commissioner, and they're not known for making very much money. Um, Shortly after that happened, he relocated to to, uh, South Texas along the coast, built a huge house and became real close friends with uh, the owners of the King Ranch. And the, the, it was kind of interesting. The owners of the King Ranch had a favored quarter horse named Jesse James. Mm. Uh, and there, there was a lot of strange, just strange little things. It almost made me wonder how deep that went on the, um, you know, on around the assassination. How many people actually knew that it wasn't Jesse? Um, I know a lot of people... Most people didn't know what he looked like. He couldn't be identified. That's why one of the reasons he got by with it for so long. And the only people who could truly identify him were his fa- his immediate family and a close group of 
of you know a small group of close friends. And back to the uh, where, when he was said to be, you know, he stood. They said that he stood on a chair to dust off a photo and was shot in the back of the head. If you've ever been in that room, and you know, I've, I've visited the house, and it you would have to be you, you would have to be a small person to stand on that chair to dust the photo and not have to bend over. And if you were bending over, knowing how tall Jesse was, he he would have had to have been bending over, and they they would have had a hard time shooting him in the head. So you know, it, none of it makes sense. Another thing, there's a hole in the wall that they use for the tourist attraction, you know, where the bullet left his head and went through the wall. Well, the body that they examined in the morgue at, you know, the coroner, there, the, the bullet was said to have stayed in the... Skull. Right, no exit wound. I've seen the photographs. I mean, yes, we've, if, yes. if you go on to Google, anyone can see the, you know, now nowadays in tabloid journalism, they call it the box shot, right, where you have the celebrity yeah. in the coffin. There is, everyone is, I'm not everyone, but many people have seen the supposed box shot of Jesse James laid out in the coffin. Exactly. Uh, so, it, I mean, doesn't that look... Well, you said it, that's his first cousin. It's not That's not Jesse. It's Wood Height. Yeah. And all, not, there's a lot of other things around that at the coroner's inquest. Well, first of all, before the inquest, you know, his mother, Zerelda, uh, they, they brought her by train up to St. Joseph, north of where they lived, to identify the body. She walked in, looked at it, and said, Gentlemen, you're mistaken. That is not my son. Uh, someone took her out of the room, and she came back in crying and bawling, saying, You killed my poor Jesse. So I thought, that's you know, that's a strange reaction. Um, now, where does that testimony come from? Was that recorded in a so, newspaper or by so, a reporter? Or? That, that was recorded in a newspaper by a reporter. Uh-huh. And also, the coroner's inquest was, was the, the entire inquest. You can find that online in various places. Um, when they questioned the lady, Z Mims, who was said to have been his wife, she was also his first cousin, she was said to have been Jesse's wife. She wasn't, and we don't, she, we don't believe she was his wife. Um, we believe he, she was married to Wood Height. But anyway, Jesse was said to have been missing the tip of one of his fingers from an old wound. And when they questioned her regarding Jesse, the guy who was supposed to be her husband for several years, and they were said to have had children together, uh, she didn't know which finger would have been missing. She didn't know his age. And there was a lot of other things she just didn't know about. Yet when they asked her about her jewelry, she knew down to the detail how many diamonds each brooch had and, you know, all kinds of details about her jewelry in fine detail. All right. So well, it just Daniel, odd that she had such a good memory when it came to her jewelry but didn't know a thing about the guy she'd supposedly had children with. Right. She didn't learn her lines, apparently. Exactly. Uh, Daniel J. Duke, the great-great-grandson of the outlaw, Jesse James, and we'll continue to delve into the Lost Templar treasure, secret diaries, coded maps, and the Knights of the Golden Circle, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Daniel J. Duke stays with us. Jesse James was his great-great-grandfather. So, Jesse, after faking his death in 1882 in Missouri, 
walks out of the history books and into, was it Marble Falls, Texas? Oh, no, it was uh, Blevins, Texas. Blevins, Texas, sorry. Why Blevins, Texas? He had somehow, he when he came to Texas in 1871, in his diary, he had a prearranged meeting with a man by the name of Thomas Hudson Barron. That was Captain Thomas Hudson Barron, who was a former Texas Ranger. Um, who was He met him outside of Fort Worth, Texas, and they rode together for a ways, then parted. Um, I remember at one part of the diary, it always, Jesse made camp one night um, in the evening. He made camp, and then after it got dark, he moved camp a mile away to a different location. He was very cautious, but... Three weeks later, and that's why I believe another reason why I believe it took him three weeks to get from Fort Worth to, to Blevins, um, he rode into Blevins, Texas, and reunited to Barron's Ranch, the man he had met in um, Fort Worth. So he rode to his ranch, and he had a, a, his saddlebags were full of gold. And he purchased 160 acres and built a house on, you know, purchased it from Barron who became his father-in-law the, the following October. Um, on October 31st, on Halloween, he married Barron's daughter, Mary Ellen. And so Barron became his father-in-law, the former Texas Ranger. Um, you know, and he was a well-known Texas Ranger. He was well-respected. So there's a... a um, there, for, I don't know how they knew each other. That's another mystery I would like to find the answer to. Um, and I've been searching that for years. There's, it's very hard to find anything on how they knew each other. Did the, did Jesse James present himself to this former Texas Ranger as the Jesse James, or had he adopted his pseudonym by then? Oh, they he knew he it, it didn't say in the diary, but all throughout the family, everybody knew that you know Baron knew that he was Jesse James, knew exactly who he was. Why wouldn't he have? Turned him in or gunned him down. That was his, he was sworn to do so. Well, back in those days, this, he was a former Texas Ranger, so he was retired. But back in those days, there were a lot of uh, he may have he may have sympathized with Jesse. He may have been. I really don't know. That's a lot of good questions, but I do know that he knew he was Jesse, and uh, I know his sons had fought under uh, Baron's. Baron had uh, he had twenty two children through two wives. Uh, Baron did. So he had um, he had quite a few sons, and some of them fought with different groups in the for the Confederacy. So maybe there was a loyalty that in that light. I don't. I really don't know the answer to that, and I would love to find the answers to how they knew one another. Right. And so, how did he settle on the name James L. Courtney? James L. Courtney was a. The Courtneys were related to the James family. And there's no denying that. There's a lot of records on how they were related. They were cousins. Uh, the real James L. Courtney was a bugler for the Union Army. I've tracked him down to different places. He uh, married, the last I saw of him, he married a lady in Kansas after the war, and that was it. Um, you know, I, I, It's like he just dropped off the face of the earth. I don't know if he was killed, if he died, I don't know. Uh, I know they were related. I doubt Jesse would have killed him. Um, but he took that name. He took his name. And I thought, well, if you're hiding from, you know, he he was hiding from people. He didn't want to be caught. He took a new name. What better name to take than the name of a Union soldier? 
and he even collected a pension under that name. Oh, dear. So, in a way, he was kind of still getting back at them by collecting a pension from them. Right. So there, there was a lot of connections. Um, also, there was a lot of former Quantrill's guerrillas all around him in the Blevins, Texas area. Ah, so he was protected. He was protected, and, you know, another... I mean, who's going to question the the former Texas Ranger who was well-respected, you know, about his son-in-law? I mean, it just kind of it added a lot of buffers for Jesse. Sure. And um, was it, though, despite the cover story, despite the protection, was it common knowledge in uh, Blevins, Texas... That yes. James L. Courtney was the Jesse James. It, it was common knowledge. All his neighbors knew it. Um, we talked to a lot of old-timers who, who knew the whole story. Why would he go to such trouble to cover his tracks and then let everyone know who he was? The, the only people who knew who he was at the time, a lot of children would, you know, people would, children would hear their parents talk or hear somebody talk, but they kept it quiet. They kept it pretty quiet. Um, the former gorilla, all the gorillas knew. Uh, the guys who were former Quantrell's gorillas, they all knew. They all got along. Uh, they didn't celebrate certain holidays, and yet, you know, that most people celebrate, but they, like July 4th, for example. He didn't celebrate July 4th. He would celebrate July 16th. And that's another mystery. I have no idea why he and the former gorillas celebrated that date. Um, but there, there was, they kept it secret. But over time, children, you know, children overhear parents talking or their uncle and their father, you know, things like that. And the rumor gets out. But the kids were told that's a secret. Don't, you know, and some of these people told us they were they were told by their parents. Just don't talk about that. Hmm. Uh, all right. But everybody we're, also knew about the gold he had buried around in different places. Ah, uh, we will get to the buried gold on the other side of this break. Daniel J. Duke is the great-great-grandson of the outlaw, train robber, Jesse James. And we'll discuss the hidden gold. Oh, there's lots of gold, folks. Wait till you hear this. Coming up next, The Conspiracy Show. Show with Richard Sarrett. Uh, Daniel J. Duke will stay with us into the next hour, and at that time we'll open up the phone lines and we'll make them available to you for questions and comments. But just sit tight uh, and just listen for the um, the rest of the story to unfold before you weigh in. Uh, so your great-great-grandfather resettles in uh, Blevins, Texas, faked his death in 1882, and seems to be protected not only by a former Texas Ranger, but uh, former uh, Confederate guerrilla soldiers who were living around him. Although, despite that, it, you know, it, it was no, it was the worst kept secret that uh, James L. Courtney was in fact Jesse James. Now, once he, I mean, did he did he hang up his uh, his pistols for good, or were there other? Was he ever tempted to break the law again? Was there any other? Were there any other crimes committed by James L. Courtney? I know that after right actually within a week after the funeral in 1882 which you know we believe was wood height um 
here in Texas, and there was a, a train robbed, and it, the the um, oh the mo was basically it was basically the same mo that the James Gang used. I don't know if it was if Jesse was involved, but there were there were you know I, I always wonder if maybe he had a couple that he just wanted to get out of his system. <laughs> right. You know, a few for old time. I don't know. I don't have any proof that he was involved in that. But Did he only rob trains? Oh, no. Were... He robbed banks, trains, and stages. Ah. And that, as far as I know, those are, you know, the main ones, the main things he robbed. He was said to have robbed a tax collector, but that's a legend I don't have any proof of. Uh, an elderly lady was broke. Uh, the tax collector was coming to get the money. It was all she had left. She gave it to the tax collector. Jesse is supposed to have robbed him down the road and brought the money back to the lady uh, with with the receipt that she paid the tax. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of stories like that, which also added to his Robin Hood status. Right, so. right. But once he settled in Blevins uh, and assumed the name of James L. Courtney, did he ever run afoul of the law? No, there, there's mention in his diary, and this, that's another good question. There's one mention that uh, the sheriff wanted to talk to him. The sheriff in Falls County, Texas, near, you know, which is what Blevins was part of that county, wanted to talk to him as the punishment was worse than death. And I don't know what that meant. There's no records. We could find no records. Shortly after that, he became a deputy in that county. And this hmm. was years after he'd faked his death. Right. I don't know what that was about. I have no idea, and that's a very hard... We have we have looked, we've looked through the county records and can't find anything about that. But we have, you know, we have evidence of it in, in his own letters in the diary. How many children did he have? Oh, that's, that one caught me off guard. I wasn't sure about that. He had, I think it was seven children. I know he had Ida... And several others, and he had he had uh, four, six or seven children. I believe it's six. He had four daughters and two sons, Byron and uh, Willie. Right. And so you're so uh, he died in uh, James L. Courtney died in 1943. How old again was he? He was 97 years old. 97. And uh, the, the obvious, you know. Um, solution to this would have been to exhume him and do a DNA test and compare that to his children or grandchildren, etc., etc. Exactly. Um, so why not? We've been working on that. We're still working on that. Um, in 1995, they did an exhumation in Kearney, Missouri to to prove once and for all that Jesse had died in 1882, as history stated. Well, they did, you know, that was their, their whole, their stated goal was to prove that with DNA. And, you know, everybody's for that. It would, you know, if it were done legitimately, it would solve, it would solve a lot of questions. Uh, they, they hired, the guy they hired to do the exhumation was not a doctor or a forensic scientist. He was a law professor. And he did for, he did exhumations as a hobby. Um, he, he dug up, he dug up the grave, made a big show out of it. But in doing so, it, it, did, it did reveal a few things. Uh, when he dug up the grave, all he had to do was bore a small hole into the grave and retrieve a dime-sized piece of bone. But he dug up the whole grave and revealed the casket that he was buried in 
didn't match the, the casket that Jesse was known to have been buried in. There were uh, male bones, but there were also a woman's bones and women's clothing, remnants of the clothing left behind, buried in that grave. And that grave, you believe, would hold the body of, 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 of Jesse's first cousin, Wood Height? Wood Height. Hmm. Exactly. There was something so, left of the coffin? That's surprising. Yeah, well, see, originally, Jesse was buried in the, uh, at the James farm, at, at his family farm. Well, not Jesse, the right. person passed off as Jesse. And they buried the body in, in the yard of the farm, and in 1902, exhumed the body and moved it to the cemetery. And it was said to have been rotting and, you know, partially rotted the, the casket, which was supposed to be um, a metal casket. But they moved it to the cemetery and reburied it. That was the story. And they did move a, a casket. I think it was Wood Heights. But they, um, in 1978, somebody, there was a, a bunch of amateurs with the uh, James Farman Museum dug up around where that gra- the original grave had been and found a human tooth, a dog tooth, and a hog tooth and some other animal bones. Well, they saved the human tooth in a Tupperware bowl and just, you know, passed it around. Uh, there's even stories that one of the directors of the farm had given away other, you know, other teeth that were said to have been found. Hmm. So, but a lot of, it had gone through a lot of hands. There was a lot of contamination on that. So back to the, the, the exhumation in 95, they dug up the grave. They found all this weird stuff that didn't match anything. And there was a, also, you know, a woman's skeleton in there as well. They couldn't. They didn't. They claim they didn't extract DNA from any of that. That there was none available. So they also claimed. You know, everybody wondered if you're searching for mitochondrial DNA, which is passed down from the mother to right. her children, then why not exhume Zarelda's grave if you're going to do this? Exactly. Get, get a sample of her DNA. The the guy, the, the uh, professor James Stars, who headed this, said, and he was a law professor. He claimed. Missouri law did not allow that because she didn't die under mysterious circumstances. There was no such Missouri law. We checked into it. They had no such law. Hmm. Um, the guy, so they got, they got a court order to get the, the tooth that was in the Tupperware jar and a sample of hair that was Jesse's hair, so it's said to have been. Well, that was being held by Stephen Caruso, who was, at the time, he's an attorney. At the time, he was the Clay County Commissioner. He, he didn't like the way the whole thing was going. He said it was extremely unprofessional. He said it was sanitized for public consumption, and it was like a tawdry sideshow. And this was their, you know, their county commissioner. Well, he took a hair from John Hartman's head, who was the parks director, and submitted that instead of submitting Jesse's hair. And they tested the hair and said, oh, this matches the description of Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then they got the tooth. They couldn't get DNA from the hair, so they got that tooth and claimed the DNA matched it. But there's no chain of custody on the tooth. It had been passed around. It wasn't even found from the grave they exhumed. It was found in the yard of the James farm, and that could have belonged to anybody. Right, right. So there's no proof. They, 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 they hang everything they have on, that DNA, on the exhumation in 95, and there is no proof. But they claim they proved it, and it's just, that's that's every they hang everything on that. We have more proof and everything we've found than anything they have. 
we've just got about 30 seconds before okay. the break at the top of the hour. But did, Sorry about that. Wh- no, 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 this is gold. <laughs> and there's more gold. But, but uh, why not, very quickly, why not exhume James L. Courtney? We tried to get an order, and half the family fought it, claiming there was, uh, it was violating the sanctity of the grave. Yet, in 1976, they exhumed their Jesse's step, or father-in-law and had him move to the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum in Waco. Aha. Uh-huh. So they're, they're kind of, t- you know, it's, it's like, which one is it? Is it violation, or you just don't want it? Exactly. Happening. All right, another hour to go with Daniel J. Duke, Jesse James, and the Lost Templar Treasure. We haven't even started to talk about the hidden treasure, but we will get into that on the other side. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Thanks for hanging out. 